Merry Christmas, everybody. Okay, that was weak. Merry Christmas, everybody. That was better. Today we finish up our series on the Advent um, that we're calling um, Seeing the Savior Sent to Save the World. And uh, this is our fourth week, as you have already heard a few times today. We've talked about the light of peace, the light of love, the light of hope. Dan's taught on last week, and this week I finish it up with the light of joy. And that's the title of today's message, is Seeing the Savior in the Light of Joy. And I'm going to ask a simple question. Every Sunday at Cornerstone, we ask a question. It sort of sets the direction for the teaching, and hopefully you'll leave here today with an answer to this question. And the, today's is pretty simple. It says, how does Jesus bring you joy? How does Jesus bring you joy? And a, a couple of follow-up questions I would ask, I guess, start off with, does he? That's the first question. Does Jesus bring you joy? Do you know him yet? Have you surrendered your life to him? If you have, do you, still, do you lose your joy too rapidly? Would you say, looking back on 2017, and we'll talk more about this next Sunday, but looking back on 2017, would you say that your year, your life last year, was characterized by joy? If someone could watch a, 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 a clip of the highlights of your, of your life, and that doesn't just mean the good things, but over the last year, would they say, that is a joy-filled person? And I'd ask one other question, is where do you look other than Jesus to find your joy. Because we all look other places. We do. You know, it's just part of our fallenness. It's part of our um, not, the part of the not yet fully redeemed. But um, where else are those places that you look for joy? So before we open up the word, let me pray. So Father, I do thank you, Lord, for the truth that you did what no one could do. You came here the perfect God-man, you punched a hole in this world to give us exactly what we needed. Not just a teacher, although you taught. Not just a, a warrior, although you will return and lay things um, to, to bear for you. Not just a leader, although you are the greatest leader the world has ever seen. You sent us a savior. You came to save a people for your own pleasure, for your redemption. So Lord, as we open up your word and we look at at what can sometimes be a familiar story. May you open our eyes to new truths that apply to our hearts individually, Lord. And most importantly, for those that don't know the joy of Jesus, Lord, I pray that today would be the day that their joy would be made full in Christ. Lord, I beg you for that. Lord, as we open up your word now, open up our eyes that we would behold wonderful things from your law. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Amen. So open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 6. Matthew, Mark, Luke, it's the third book in your New Testament. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. I'm sure someone will put it in there. I'll put a Bible in your hand for you. Just keep it up until someone does. Um, Luke chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 6. And we're going to look at our, the first point is our joy, God's joyous announcement. God's joyous announcement. Luke 2, starting in verse 6. Dan read part of it as the invocation passage. It says, While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to a firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Isn't it interesting? Like, uh, that first little part I want to point out, like, it says, and, he, and she gave birth to a firstborn son. It's like this matter-of-fact statement. This is the greatest event in the history of the world so far. There's another one coming, his second advent. But it's the greatest event in the history of the world. God becomes flesh, and it gets a sentence in the word of God. And she gave birth to her son. 
Really? Like you'd think it would be, I mean, not only as, as Sean even prayed about the simpleness, the humility of how God came here, not how we would have planned it, but even in God's own inspired word, it gets a sentence. God does not spend a lot of time talking about how he came to be, how, how he came, even, even God, the Godhead, the Trinity, at the beginning. It just says, in the beginning, God. He doesn't define himself. He doesn't feel like he needs to tell us why he came to be or, or any of that because, because he has always been. Part of why Jesus, there isn't much ink here for the birth of Jesus is Jesus has always been. He just went from God, the Godhead to flesh. So there's, there's not a lot of ink required from God's perspective. And then the next thing it says, there's no room for them in the inn. When I was in Israel in May... I had the chance, we were at one of the places we stopped was Bethlehem. But Bethlehem is a very touristy place, and, so I, and I didn't really like that part of it. So I kind of wandered off, me and a couple other guys wandered off to the spot and jumped a fence. And it was a little fence, so I figured that was okay. If they really wanted us out, they would have had a bigger fence. And so we jumped a fence, and we found this area where um, there were all of these caves. And, what, and as it turned out, these caves are the places that the people in Bethlehem would have lived during the time of Jesus' birth. So they had like homes made of rock and stuff as well. But when it says there, there was no room for them in the inn, we have this idea that there was this inn and an innkeeper. During that time in Jesus's, when Jesus was alive here on earth, there were no inns, like there's no holiday inn there. And, and this, the innkeeper is a completely made up thing that there is not even mentioned in the Bible. Doesn't mean it's bad. You don't have to, if you have that in your little nativity story, you don't need to take it out. I'm just saying that really what that word means is guest room. In fact, when, when that, that same word in the Greek that is translated in, in Luke 2, at the end of the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 24, I think it is, they translate it upper room. It's the same word as where the disciples had their last supper with Jesus at the end of the gospel. Not the same place, but it's the same word. So what, what does any of that mean? Here's what any of that means. In these caves, where it says there was no room for them in the end, remember, why were Mary and Joseph even going to Bethlehem? Dan read it, right? Because there was a decree for a census, and he had to go back to where his family was from. Joseph's family was in Bethlehem. They may have been family he'd never met, but they were his family. Chances are, when they arrived in Bethlehem, he went and found his family. Their place was crowded because the whole family had already been coming for, for this census. And the only place they had left was was probably a guest room or some sort of a, a side room where they kept animals, and that's where the manger scene comes in, right? Where they kept the animals because they would keep animals inside to keep them from getting stolen, to keep them safe, and to keep themselves warm because the animals would give off heat. So when it says here that, that Mary and Joseph arrived and there was no room for them in the inn, and we have this idea that they just went off and wandered off, that it really is probably more accurate that they were in the caves in the homes of his family, but in an area that was probably not usually inhabited by people, which is true. It was probably for the animals as well. So it was just a side cave, and it was really interesting walking around and seeing those places and wondering if maybe, even though there wasn't all the touristy glitz and there was no um, church there built on top of the site, which made it even more pleasant actually to walk around, um, it, it made me, that was one of the more moving moments for me, because I thought this could have been where he was born in this cave right here, and we would not have known it. Let's keep going in verse 8. It says, In the same region there came some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock 
by night. So in that, so this is looking out from the caves across this ravine out to those um, fields. Those fields would have been where the shepherds were raising the sheep in Bethlehem during the time that Mary and Joseph showed up. So out there in those fields, that's where the angel's going to show up. Is out, it was probably a little greener during that time of year. But out in those fields. But it's interesting, too, to think that, that those shepherds, the, the shepherds in Bethlehem were raising sheep for what? For the sacrifice in the temple. Because Jerusalem's only about six miles away. It's not that hard of a walk. It's up a hill. But they would raise those sheep in Bethlehem to march them in what's called the Sheep's Gate in Jerusalem to be slaughtered as the Passover lamb. Well, who does that sound like? Interesting, isn't it? So here are these shepherds. They're out in the field at night, and, 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 um, and the angels are going to appear to them. So let's pick it up in verse 9. It says, And the angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. That word terribly frightened really translated would be translated terrified. It means feared a great fear. These, these were not, like, the, one of the things that, I, that drives me crazy about the, even our own nativity scenes that we have in, the, in, in our house is they always make, and we, we were just watching the movie The Nativity last night, and they make the angels out to be so hokey. And, and these angels were not, like, little fuzzy cherub, or they were not even, like, men. Or, and they all make them women, even though there are no angels described as women in the Bible. Um, but, they, but even when they make them men, they make them all look like the Brett girl, you know, flowing hair, and it's like, what in the world is that? They obviously were, were fairly scary-looking beings because the shepherds were terrified. It says, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So first of all, they, they come out and they burst out on the scenes. I bring you good news. That word there, good news, the, the, word, the word good news, their phrase means, is really the word evangelium. It's, it's actually the, 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 the part of the word evangelizo. It means, the angel is saying, evangelium is the Greek word for gospel. It is, the, 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 um, the angel is actually saying, I am bringing you the message of the gospel. That the gospel message is being fulfilled today in your midst, is what the angel is saying. And when it says great joy, the word great there is the word megas. It's like the biggest, so this angel is saying, I bring you good news, I'm bringing you the gospel, and it is mega awesome. It is the best news the world has ever heard. And the word joy there actually doesn't, it, it's, it's, it's the word um, kara in the Greek, but it actually means a cause of joy. So here's what the angel's saying to the shepherd. He's saying, I am bringing you the gospel message, which is the cause of joy because it is the best news in the entire world. And then it says, and for all the people. This good news is for all the people. And that, that was not understood by, by God's people, by, by even those that followed Christ, until about Acts chapter, well, really about Acts chapter 10, when the gospel goes to all the world. Because what God's people thought, the Israeli, the Jewish people thought, was that they were, they were just the chosen ones. They were the chosen people. And for a time, God's plan was being fulfilled through them. But now the angel's saying, this is going out to all the world. Because in Revelation chapter 4, Five, I think it says that he purchased, it says, talking about Jesus, Jesus purchased with his blood a people from 
every tribe and tongue and nation in the world. The gospel is not just for America. The gospel is not just for white people. The gospel is, not, the gospel is a worldwide best news anyone could ever hear gospel. So let's pick it up in verse 11. For today in the city of David, there was born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The word Savior there could be translated deliverer or rescuer. It means one who saves or brings into a place of happiness. One who saves or brings into a place of happiness. And the word Christ there is just the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Messiah. So you'll see those translated, you'll see those used interchangeably. But I find this interesting when he says, so I bring you this great news of the gospel, for today in the city of David there has born to, there's been born to you a teacher. No. There's, born, there's been born to you a leader. No. There has been born to you a warrior. No. Is Jesus all of those things? Yeah. Now we haven't seen the warrior side of him just yet, but we will. But it says, there's been born to you a savior. He is Christ the Lord. Because all the teaching in the world and all the leading in the world and all the warring in the world is not going to amount to a hill of beans unless something saves us because we are in desperate need of redemption. That's the Christmas story. The Christmas story is not a baby born in a manger. It is a baby born to be sacrificed on a cross. Why? Because that's the good news. It doesn't sound like it. Right? We use that for Good Friday, we use that for Easter. But that is the good news. That that ba- we say in the lyric, the baby born for sacrifice. Right? If we don't recognize that that's why he came, that when he showed up, he knew where the end was. And it was a cross. But that's what makes the good news the good news. The question is, do we make room for that in our lives? Kind of like it says there was no room for them in the end. Do we make room for him in our life? Do we make room for that good news in our day-to-day activity? Are we any different than they were in Bethlehem? We can read the story or watch the movie or, and, and, and go, man, you know, those people were completely clueless. They missed it. And yet, how often do we miss it? Right, one of the things we talk about here is reading and responding to the Word of God every day. 15 minutes a day. It's like 1% of your time. Do we, but, 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 but more often than not, when I ask people, so how is your time in the Word? They will say to me, you know, I just haven't had time. That is a lie from the pit of hell. And I'm not getting on my soapbox, because most of you have heard it. But I'm just telling you, that is a lie from the pit of hell. We all have the time. We don't make the time. Just like they didn't make time to see the most miraculous event in the history of the world. Let's pick it up in verse 12. So then, just so they don't miss it, the angel gets specific. It says, this will be a sign for you that you will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with an angel the multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Some of your translations might, might translate it on whom his favor rests, which is really a, a very good translation of the Greek because this is not saying on whom he is pleased like, oh, look at Doug, he did a good job. I'm really happy with him. This is not good people doing good things that make God feel like pleased with them. This is people who God has fixed his favor upon. He has said, I am by my, God is saying by my will, 
I am favoring you. Not by our will. Pray, yeah, praise God, because otherwise I would be hopeless. We are recipients and distributors, not manufacturers of God's grace. Right? We are recipients and distributors. We're not just supposed to take it and keep it. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But we also don't manufacture it. We didn't, we didn't do something to make God like us and give us his grace through Jesus Christ. We did nothing, is what the Bible tells us. So the question on the, for the day is, how does Jesus bring you joy? Well, here's one of the ways. He is the perfect fulfillment of every promise of God. Right? One of the ways Jesus should bring us joy is that every morning when we meet with him, here in the Word, we are meeting with him. Because he is the perfect fulfillment of all of this. The angels had waited. Guys, get, get this. This is why, this is why the scene in, in Luke chapter 1 where, where, um, the, where Gabriel shows up in the temple to Zacharias and, and, and says, you know, I, you know, don't be afraid, Zacharias, because I, I, I bring you good news as well. And Zacharias says, well, how do I know you're telling me the truth? And do you remember what Gabriel says? He's like fired up at this point. Gabriel's like, he's got this holy anger. And he's like, I am Gabriel. And I stand in the presence of God. And because you are so foolish as to question God's word, you will not speak until it is fulfilled. What, why was Gabriel so put off by Zacharias? Yeah, Zacharias' lack of faith, I get all that. But the answer is, Zach, Gabriel was up here. Man, emotionally, Gabriel was like, yes, I finally get to share. I've been waiting eons to get down there and tell these clueless people that he's showing up. And the first dude I tell it to says, how do I know you're telling me the truth? He's like, bam, just be quiet. Don't let anything else foolish come out of your mouth. But guys, how often am I that way? How often, I, how often do I stifle the message of God that the angels could not wait to tell people? Here's what Peter says about it. In 1 Peter, you're going to read this in your daily readings this week to kind of keep the message going throughout the week. Hopefully you're reading those. Um, in 1 Peter chapter 1, talking about the prophets of old and all of the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, Peter says this, and now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the prophets of old. He sent from heaven. It is also so one it is also wonderful that even the angels eagerly watch these things happen. Guys, this announcement had been planned forever. And it is being proclaimed at this point to the shepherds then and now to us today. But it has always been God's plan. There was not a plan A that went south in the garden. So the plan B was the Old Testament. That didn't work either. So God came up with plan C, Jesus Christ. Now there's only ever been one plan. And the angels have always known it. And that's why they're so excited to tell Zacharias. And then to tell Mary. And then to tell these shepherds. Because they have been waiting a long time. And if you come back tonight. And I would encourage you to come back tonight to our candlelight service. It's a short service where we share the Christmas story. And one of the insights you get is sort of this this vision into the throne room of what it looked like when God called his angels to say, it's time. We, we don't appreciate what's going on in the heavenlies nearly enough. There is a battle being waged right now in this place for the souls of people. 
Look at verse 15. And when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. It's funny how these simple shepherds, they don't doubt for a minute, like, I guess we're going to Bethlehem, let's just go. Right? They, they don't doubt that these angels are speaking for the word of God. How different than the religious leaders, which is what Zacharias was. Right? They just immediately go, okay, I just heard from the Lord. I ought to follow up. Now here's the question. What about you, Doug? What about you guys? You see, yeah, but I haven't had, I haven't had an angel show up to me. Right? I, I, you know, I, I haven't had some. Okay, maybe, guys, we have something better. We have the spirit of the living God that takes the word that is living and active and opens our eyes and our hearts to it. Guys, that is, if, if our faith, if our trust, if our only ability to hear from the Lord was to sit back and wait for some angel to tell us something, that would, to me, that would be horrible. And yet, I'll be honest, I mean, I'll be transparent in front of you, I, I don't feel that way. I feel sometimes like, but yeah, man, wouldn't it be cool? Wouldn't it be cool, Dan, like to have an angel just show up one time when you're having your morning coffee and he's like, hey, brother, I got some news for you. Like I, I, and yet, guys, truly, biblically, we have something so much better. And for those of you that came to Christ later in life, like I did, and you remember trying to read this book and having it make no sense to you, and now you read it and it is living and active and it breathes life into you. You go, but, but do we appreciate, in that moment, do I see that as, as the greatest miracle of my life? That because of what he's done in my heart, I can read this book and, he, and it will speak to my soul. That is a miracle. That is better than an angel. And here's the other part about that though. Angels show up to the shepherds. I, I've got some news for you guys. They immediately go, we better go tell somebody. Let's go. How often do we get up, how, even if you got your 15 minutes a day or whatever, you're reading and you're responding to the Word of God, and you write in your journal, you close up your journal, and 10 minutes after you step away from the table, you have forgotten what you read, you have forgotten. Even if it was a sweet time with the Lord, that is so frustrating to me, because I will have such a great time. Not, not every morning. I have a lot of mornings like everybody else where I'm just like, man, this was, this was a fight to get through this with God today. But I'll have one of those mornings where, like this morning was a great one. I'm like, man, what a sweet time with the Lord today. And, and 30 minutes later, I'll go, I don't really remember what I read. Why? Because I didn't go tell somebody. Right? If I would, if I would tell somebody about that, I, the shep, like the shepherds are doing, I might hang on to it a little more. So how does Jesus bring us joy? He is the perfect fulfillment of every promise of God. It's interesting that God chose a band of blue-collared shepherds to, to share. He didn't go to seminary graduates. He didn't go to the religious right. He went to a bunch of plain blue-collared shepherds and he said, I got news for you because you got time to hear it. So that was God's joyous announcement. Do we see what he says to us in his word as joyous? Does it bring us joy? Does the fact that he is the word of God bring us joy? Our joyous response. I'm going to quickly look at three different people groups or individuals and how they responded to this announcement that the shepherds come and bring to them. And they all respond in a good way and a bad way. And so we're going to move through this fairly quickly. The first group that we're going to look at is all the people who heard. 
Because in Luke, if you look at verse 18, it says, And all the people who heard wondered at the things which were told by them, but which were told them by the shepherds. So maybe the shepherds, as they're going along, because it's about a six-mile walk up that hill to Jerusalem, maybe they're telling people, guess, guess what just happened? Guess what we just heard? Just, and, they, and then they get to Bethlehem, and they're telling people where, where they're trying to find the baby. Where's the baby? What's going on? They finally find him, and then they're going to share the story. And so all the people who heard wondered. The word wondered there means marveled at. It doesn't mean like, hmm, I wonder if those stinky shepherds were telling the truth. It was, I believe it. I just, I, I heard it, and I'm amazed at what I just saw, what I just heard. I am amazed by it. One, it tells you a little bit about the fact that Mary and Joseph were not alone at that point, right? Because who are the shepherds telling? It says all the people. So there was apparently a crowd of people, at, this, at least at this point, around Mary and Joseph. But what brought the the sh- or what brought all of these people joy? What, what brings you joy? Well, that's the question in this case. What brought them joy? They got a front row seat at one of the most amazing events in the history of the world. Right? They, got, they got a front row seat at the, at the birth of Christ. Who saw it? Some shepherds saw it. Mary and Joseph saw it a little bit later on. Simeon and Anna will see it. Um, and then finally the Magi will show up. They'll see it. But here's the problem. They weren't impacted. They got a front row seat to the greatest event in the history of the world and somehow their amazement disappeared because it says they wondered. They were amazed at what they'd heard. But somehow the, they drift back into the mundane of their regular life, right? They, they missed the moment. They missed the meaning of the moment. They missed the magnitude of the meaning of the moment and that caused them to lose their memory. They basically lost their memory. But, but, but how? Why does that happen? Here's why that happens. Spiritually meaningless, physically mundane, and emotionally urgent things of life slip in so easily and steal away our awe of God. Guys, the, the, the things that are meaningless in our lives, the mundane, just the, 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 tr- the trudgery of daily life is what steals our joy. It just does. And, 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 I, and it's a fight. It's a fight for all of us. But the first step in the victory of the fight is to recognize that it's a fight and say, okay, so Lord, help me. Help me not let the world steal my joy. Because the busyness of life will crowd God out. The things of the world will crowd God out. And we lose our sense of awe in who he is. How do we know that happened to them? Here's how we know that happened to them. How, you say, well, wait a minute. All these people heard, Doug, aren't you, aren't you impugning their hearts? Well, I don't really know, but here's the question. Here's, here's, here's a part of how we know. What happened for the next 30 years? Right? Jesus is born in a manger. The, shepherds, or the angels come to the shepherds. The shepherds go to all these people. All these people are amazed, and for 30 years, nothing, there's no word. Why? Because the mundane, the urgent... The, you know, the tyranny of the urgent, it just, it just crowded out their awe of God until the time was right and Jesus busts on the scene in Mark chapter 1 and says, you know, the, the gospel has been fulfilled in your hearing, repent and believe. But that's 30 years later. So here's our question. How do we keep, how do we keep our own amazement? How do we keep our, well, guys, one is things like Christmas, 
Part of why Christmas, and some people say, well, Christmas is just a day. It, I get that. It, we, should be, we should be celebrating Jesus as the light all the time. Of course we should. But God is a cyclical God. He is a God of cadence. How do we know that? Because in the Old Testament, there were feasts and fasts. There were festivals. There were these repeating, ongoing things that God put in front of his people so that we would celebrate him. Because otherwise, we just, we could, we'd let a year go by without it. So for us as New Testament believers, we have Christmas, and I'm not going to get into whether we're celebrating it at the right time of year or not, but the point is having markers in your family's calendar help you celebrate and remember the awe of God. Having memory stones, having ways of remembering the amazing, there's a reason God had them pile up all these memory stones in the Old Testament all the time. We have some in our backyard. Because we can look out there and remember, here is when God showed up throughout our family's history. We need those things. Reading and responding to the Word of God. Having a journal or journals from your past experiences with the Lord that you can turn back to and go, oh, this is when he spoke to me about that. Because we all need those times. Because there will be a point in everyone's life where you'll go, man, I'm not really hearing from you, Lord. I need to be reminded and we need those things in our lives to remind us. Plan for those things in the coming year. Sit down as a family. Sit down individually and as a family. We're going to start doing that here this next week. And sitting down individually and as a family and going, so what do we want to plan out intentionally for 2018? So we remember our awe of God. Second group, second person. So the first was all the people. The second is Mary. How, did jo- how, did, how does um, Jesus bring joy to you? How did Mary find her joy is what we're going to look at. Look at verse 19. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The word treasured there, it means to guard, but it means to guard in a place that is accessible. And to me, that's a big difference in my mind mentally when I read that. The word guard there, the, the, the um, version of the word guard there means to guard in an accessible place. It's not take it and put it in a safe and bury it in the ground. It's guard it, keep it close to your heart, but keep it accessible so you can remind yourself of it. And that goes on with the pondering, thinking deeply about it. But guys, how did Mary have joy? Wait a minute, this teenage girl, her whole life is blown up. This is not her plan. But she doesn't question God about it. But all of her friends, I'm sure, disowned her. They could have stoned her to death. right? And, and, her, and yet, she finds joy. Guys, we've got to ask the question, how? Here's how. Turn back one page to Luke chapter 1. This teenage girl goes vertical. We've talked a lot about this during this series, that, that horizontal peace and love and hope and joy can only be experienced and sustained if our vertical peace, love, and hope and joy are found in Christ. Look at what Mary says. So this is after she's, she's already been visited by Gabriel. She's already got the baby inside her. She goes and she visits her um, cousin Elizabeth. And look in verse 46 of chapter 1. It says, and Mary said, my soul exalts the Lord. It means that word there should be, could be translated magnifies. My Lord magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in my God, my Savior. For he has regarded for the humble state, he has regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Guys, do you get, what she, you get how Mary kept her joy? 
When everything horizontally just blew up in her face, she kept her joy by looking up. She kept her joy. I'm like, no matter what's going on in my world, I'm going to keep looking up and I'm going to remember who my God is. And in that, I'm going to find my joy. She did a great job with that. Here's where Mary didn't do such a good job. She didn't apparently share that joy very much with her family. How do we know? Because when Jesus shows up in Nazareth, at Nazareth as an adult, what does his family want to do to him? His family wants to drive him out of town and throw him off a cliff. So Mary treasured these things and pondered them in her heart, but apparently didn't do a lot to instill in her, at least her other children, who Jesus was. It's interesting, and, and we can fall into that trap as well. So let's look at our third and final group. We'll kind of wrap things up with this. It's where we started, with the shepherds. So look at verse 18. The shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. So the question today is, how does Jesus bring you joy? How did it bring the shepherds joy? Well, like Peter, like, like Peter James, and John in Acts chapter 4, when they're told to stop speaking about Jesus, and they say, we can't stop speaking about that which we've seen and heard. These, these shepherds are like, we can't not go to Bethlehem. And we can't not continue to glorify and praise God. They're, they're so full of joy, it just turns into praise to God. They can't help it. They just can't help it. The Westminster Catechism, which was written in the 1600s, the first question, a catechism is just a question and answer of how, what we believe as Christians. This is, it's the first question. What is the chief end of man? The answer, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So these shepherds can't stop bring, just rejoicing in who God is. They are enjoying him forever. But apparently, they had little gospel impact. Because again, what, what happened for the next 30 years? Right? Apparently, they had little, um, they did not have very much um, sustained ministry. Because there's no other word about, other than Jesus showing up as a 12-year-old in the temple, there's no other word about Jesus as a, as a child, as a young man, as, an, as a young adult, until he's 30 years old. So, so you say, it's almost like they, like the rest of them, they lost their awe. They, didn't, they either didn't have the ability or the relationship with people to spread the word. And, and, and you can say, well, you know what, that's because the world was judging them because they were lowly shepherds. And, and that's why um, Joseph, when he tells his brothers back in, the New in Genesis, when Joseph tells his brothers to go back and get the family and bring them to Egypt, and he says, but don't tell them you're shepherds. Because shepherds were not looked at well. And so maybe you say, okay, well, they were judging them. Or it could be. It could be that the reason they had very little gospel impact is because nobody would listen to them. Or it could be that they were just jerks. Right? It could be that they just didn't do well at building relationships with people. It could be that the reason they were shepherds is because they just didn't like people that much, and so they liked, they'd rather hang out with the sheep. It could, but, but either way, they didn't make much impact. Guys, the question we need to ask, and I love Dan's challenge to us last week, was how are we, we we've got this amazing message. We have been given the message of the, the good news. But are we building relationships with people in a way that would, at one, at, inspire them to ask for the, why we have the hope we have within us? 
And two, allow us audience to speak into their lives. Or are we just off going, you know what, I heard the good news and I'm just going to take care of my sheep and my little family and I'm going to move on. So the question today is, how does Jesus bring you joy? How has he given you joy? Make it personal. How has he given you joy? What has he shown you over this Advent season where we've talked about the peace and the hope and the love and now the joy? What kinds of things is he speaking to your heart? What has he shown you in the last year? How has he brought you joy? How might you make 2018 a truly joy-filled, rejoicing, that's what rejoicing means, it's the same word, when, when Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, rejoice always, he means, he says, be full of joy all the time. That's what that means. Because that's God's will for you. But here's the other part of our question. How does Jesus bring you joy? And this is the bigger part. Has he? Not how has he, but has he? Does he? Do you know the joy of Jesus Christ? Like right now, sitting in this place, guys, just... Take a minute. We're wrapping up. We're going to sing happy birthday to Jesus here in a minute and sing a couple more Christmas songs and we'll be done until tonight. But guys, in this moment right now, just ask yourself, how does Jesus bring you joy? Has your heart tasted the good news of the gospel? And if so, is it making a difference in your life? For today, in the city of David, a Savior has been born for you, for all of us, for all people, and he is Christ the Lord. 30 years later, Jesus is going to say this in John 10, 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. Have it to the full. Because if you're sitting here right now and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you have not experienced his love, his peace, love, hope, and joy, I'm, people have been praying for you all week that today would be the day you would go, oh, there you are. But for all of us as believers in Christ, I would, I, myself included, I would say, will we walk out of here the same way we walked in? Just immediately turning to, what do I got to get done today? Barking orders at our kids. Living feebly, mediocre Christian lives when Jesus came that we might have life and have it to the full. Guys, don't let the pursuit of things of this world, including the stuff you've got going on today, steal your joy. Don't do it. What started in a manger ended at a cross. He, it's all right there. Go to him and he will come to you. Let's pray. The music team can come up and we're going to close in prayer.
So Father, I do pray as a people that we would be a people who would be amazed. Like all the people who heard, we would be amazed and not lose our wonder, not lose our sense of awe. Lord, that as we walk out of here today, as your people in Christ, that we would walk out of here talking about you and what you're doing in our lives. And that at our tables today and, and tonight and, and tomorrow, Lord, that we would, we would be awestruck. And as we walk into the new year, preparing our hearts to meet you where you already are, Lord, I pray that we would not lose our sense of awe of who you are. Lord, I, I confess that, that I don't have a sin problem, I have an awe problem. And that leads to my sin problems. Lord, I pray that we would treasure all of these things in our heart and ponder them regularly. That as, as, you, as, as we remember the amazing gift of having your word come to life in our very souls, that we would not quickly and flippantly just close the book and walk out. But we would see that moment for what it is, a miracle. That the spirit of the living God that indwells us speaks your word into us. Like Ezekiel breathing life into dry bones. Speak the word. Lord, I pray that those right now that, that are still completely disassembled dry bones, that you, your word, you came that we might have life and have it to the full. I pray that they would experience right now by the power of your spirit in this room new life in Christ. And if that would happen to them today, that they would not leave here without talking to me or to Dan or to Jeff or to one of the leaders. Because that's what this Christmas story is about. Yes, it's a great story of light entering the world and the miracle of the incarnation but it's just the beginning of that story. You walked willingly to a cross and you knew you were going there before you came. And you came anyway. Why? To redeem a people for your own possession. Thank you that we are that people. Thank you that we are the redeemed ones. Lord, like the shepherds, may we rejoice and proclaim the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen.